This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. You can be seated. Thanks to Eddie and the crew. I thought they sounded really good this morning. Um, so you're aware of stuff that's going on in our uh, society and our nation and the world around, um, you know, racial issues, around um, community issues, around law enforcement, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, speak to all of that directly this morning. I know that Sully shared some things, some thoughts last week about some of that. It's not really my intention to focus on that, although it's in front of us. It's these issues are here, and so it, you know, it may show up here and there. But <clears throat> um, my brother Bruce is the founder of City of Refuge and the uh, executive director, as you know, and. On the 1st of July, City of Refuge will be 23 years old, and I've been with him 22 years of the 23, and we've seen a lot of things happen through the years, and so when when all of the stuff came up that's going on uh, right now, people began to look to him for leadership, and people wanted him to say something, make a statement. People want him to do things. People want him to meet with folks and all that. And so he has done some of that, um, but I think that, and this is the way I feel, he and I haven't really just sat down and talked it through, but I'm pretty sure he feels some of the same way. And that is that you really just, at the outset, just don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, you feel a lot of confusion, a lot of of different things, different emotions going on, you don't really know, and you don't want to make a mistake, right? I mean. And it's not, just, it's not just about not doing something or not saying something because you're afraid of some backlash, but you want to be real, you want to be genuine, you want to be accurate, you don't want to make a mistake, you don't want to destroy any trust, because we've spent a lot of years building trust with people. The whole, the whole ministry in the inner city is built on a foundation of trust, so that now people trust us and we trust them. And his, Bruce's book that came out last year is called Trust First. That tells you that it's all about trust. And there are a lot of ministries that have come and gone through the years in the inner city. And when we first started going down there, we were out on the streets feeding people and talking to people and all. One of the most common questions that would come is, well, how long y'all going to be here before you disappear? You know, or how many, you know, What's the time frame on this? Two weeks, a month, and then y'all will be gone. We won't see you or hear from you anymore. And you can give an answer to that that is a cool answer or creative answer or sounds right. But what's the best way to answer the question? Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up and just never go away. So that now people in the inner city where we work know that we're not going anywhere. That's not even a question anymore. These white folks came in here and they do what they do, and they just, they did not go away, and it's obvious they're not going away. And I use the, the, the phrase white folks because the neighborhood that we are in 
is uh, almost exclusively a minority neighborhood, an African-American neighborhood by and large. And so um, we have established through the years that this is what we're here to do and this is what we're called to. And it doesn't require a lot of talk anymore. You don't have to convince people of things anymore. For 23 years, we've just been getting up every morning going to work. Just go to work. Do the stuff. And let the work speak for you, and your mouth really never has to open and say anything, or at least rarely. But now people are wanting you to say something. People are wanting you to make a public statement. And so Bruce um, had one of those meetings with, with a room full of people, and then he went and spent some time thinking, praying, meditating, came back, and he said that the Holy Spirit had, had inspired him with a three-word process. And when he said it, I immediately connected with it because you know that I'm a process person. And so he came in and he said, I believe that I have heard from the Lord that we are to listen, we are to learn, and we are to launch. And because my mind works in terms of processes, I saw that as three phases in a process, not three things that happen all at the same time simultaneously. There's going to be spillover as you go to where you are learning as you're listening and you're launching while you're still learning and listening, but you have to start with listening. Everybody listening? You have to start with listening. Do you know every, anybody or have you ever been a person that has launched first when you should have listened first? All the married people in the room say amen. Or you thought you knew everything and so you made decisions based on what you thought you knew before you had ever actually taken the time to go through the process of learning. There's no one in this room, not to the very oldest person in the room, who knows everything. Okay, I got a cousin in Virginia who is a know-it-all, and once in a while he rubs on me the wrong way, and I just have to tell him something because I know more than he does. But, but this process begins with listening. The Lord said, be still and know that I am God. Just sit, don't talk, be still and listen. And if you will listen intently with a heart that's focused in the right direction, submitting and surrendering yourself to who I am instead of relying so much on who you are, you will begin to know and see and feel and sense that I am God and I have control of everything that's going on in your life. Listen, listen, listen. And if you listen, you will learn I have um, been very intentional over the past two, three weeks of making sure that I'm listening for the purpose of learning.
Because I want to know why people feel the way they feel. I really do. I want to know why people think the way they think. I want to know why people function the way they do. I don't want to just draw conclusions that are based on my own ignorance or based on what I always heard from somebody growing up. Because I grew up in sort of a, a, a boxed-in environment where the opinions were pretty much all the same. You didn't get a whole lot of outside opinions. And when you got opinions from the outside, like as not, they were going to be considered to be of the devil because they were not your opinions. They were not your perspectives. It wasn't, what, it wasn't the way you saw things, so it couldn't possibly be right. And listen, let me throw this in here. You may listen and learn a lot and walk through these processes the way one should and still end up firmly believing that the way this person feels or sees things or is functioning is wrong. That's the power of listening. If you conclude that, hey, they're off base, they're wrong, but you have gone through the process to get there, then that's okay. It's only wrong of you when you draw those conclusions that they're wrong before you listened and learned. So what kinds of things are we talking about? Everything from having a private conversation with somebody to listening to interviews with people to listening to audio recordings of books or reading books or reading articles and contemplating and aligning what people are saying with the heart of God, the Word of God, the Spirit of God. So I, I bought a membership to Audible. Audible, if you don't know what it is, is an audio book membership club. And I was in Ohio last weekend. I knew I was looking at a long drive back by myself. And so I decided this is a good time for me to sign up for Audible and to rent my or, or to get my first book. And so the book that I got is not a book that before what's happened in our country over the past month, six weeks had happened. I never would have rented this book. But because of what's happening and because I want to know, because I want to be educated, because I'm committed to listening and learning, I rented this book. It's a book called The New Jim Crow. It, and listen, the book is written by an African-American female who is a civil rights attorney who worked for many years for the ACLU and who is a far-left liberal. I say that to say that she and I have almost nothing in common. But what happens to us when we shut people down just because we look at the surface of things and conclude that we don't have much in common? I don't want to hear what you say because I don't have anything in common with you. That's how we end up ignorant. That's how we end up drawing wrong conclusions. That's how we end up with a gross lack of understanding about where people are coming from. When we refuse to hear from them, we shut down our minds, our hearts, our ears because we don't think we have anything common in common with them. Well, that's the foundational error to that is that we have so much in common with them. We are both 
created by the same God in that God's image. That's where we've got to start. African-American female liberal civil rights lawyer who worked for the ACLU is my sister. Does she think just like me? No. Does she live just like me? No. Do we have the same value system across the board? No. But we are blood kin, and nothing counts so much as blood. And she deserves for me to hear her opinions and her perspectives and where that she's coming from just as much as I deserve for her to hear from me. And after I have listened and I have learned, then whatever conclusions I draw, I draw. But at least I draw an educated conclusion. And as a man of God who, who, who lives his life in obedience to God's Word and lives by the Spirit of God, he's going to make sure that I draw the right conclusions. But if I have shut people down with ever, without ever giving them a voice into my life, then I've made a grave mistake. And I've learned a whole lot just listening to the first couple of chapters of that book. I've learned a whole lot. And some of it I'm, I'm aligning with, and some of it I'm just still sort of like, oh, I'm not sure yet. And there will be things by the end of it that I embrace and agree with, and there will be things that I do not agree with. But I will know that I have gone through the process of listening and learning before I launch my opinion about it. Learn. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, <clears throat> Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you, you will find rest for your souls. Here's the model again. As always, Jesus himself who is saying to us, if you will just listen and learn, you're going to end up at a place of rest. And he is instructing us to learn from him. But he also expects us to respect each other and to love each other and to submit ourselves as in a spirit of humility to respect other people's voices. And then He, by His Spirit and in alignment with His Word, will take us right to where we need to be out of all of that. And after we've listened and we've learned, then we have a right to launch. In other words, we have a right to do something. God forgive us for all the times that we have launched, that we've enacted programs, that we've felt it necessary to do something. And it was the wrong thing because we had not built the proper foundation through listening and learning. So, I'm going to say a couple things here, and then I'm going to tell you where I, what I think we need to be doing. At least what I know I need to be doing, and then you decide for yourself. After listening and being in a process of learning and doing so in a, in a spirit of humility and doing so by the Spirit of God and doing so with everything aligned against the Word of God, I've drawn a couple of conclusions, or at least I'm in the process of drawing these conclusions. I do not believe that systemic racism 
in law enforcement in America is the problem. I think it is a problem in some places, but I do not believe it is the problem that is causing to happen what is happening. I do not believe that race relations and the problems inside those relations are the problem. I think that they are a problem in America, but I don't believe they are the foundational problem. I do not believe that police brutality in and of itself is the problem. I believe it is a problem here and there in some places, but I do not believe it is the problem that we all should be focused on. I think all of these things that are going on are symptomatic of the problem. Symptoms. Symptoms. Talked about this in my men's Bible study Wednesday morning. I used Anton as an example. He didn't chastise me for that then, so I hope he's okay with it now. Anton was an addict for most of his life. Severe alcoholic. There's a lot of fallout and a lot of damage from that. And when Anton threw his hands up and said, I got to go somewhere and get help or I'm going to die, he was ready to deal with the symptoms of his problem, which were drinking alcohol. But being an alcoholic was not Anton's problem. His addiction was not the problem. His addiction was a symptom of the problem. Any addiction that anybody has, I'll declare this boldly anywhere I go, that is not your problem, that is merely a symptom of your problem. And when I dropped him off at Mighty Man in South Georgia, he went in there and he had to deal with the symptoms of his addiction which was sickness, extreme withdrawals, convulsions, headaches, vomiting. It's brutal. I mean, the, the, the withdrawals from alcoholism are horrible. Uh, alcoholism is maybe the worst addiction there is in terms of trying to overcome it. And he had to deal with those symptoms. You know what happens to a lot of guys who go to Mighty Man? They deal with the symptoms, and they get through it, and they think, I'm better, and so they leave. Three months in, they leave. Oh, I've got this thing now. I've been clean three months. I've been sober three months. There are people who go to jail and stay for a year, two years. For that year or two years, they don't have access to alcohol. They don't have access to the drug they were using when they were on the outside. So they are clean and sober for that period of time. And they come out, and you would think, if you can go without for that long, you should be okay, right? You should never go back to it. And time after time after time, within a few weeks or a few months, they're right back doing the same thing. Why? Because using those drugs or drinking that alcohol was only a symptom of the problem. And while they were in jail, they never dealt with the problem. They were only taken away from the opportunity to exercise the symptoms of the problem. 
but Anton stayed because the mighty man, and this is why I refer almost every man who comes to us and says, I'm in this situation, I've hit rock bottom, that we recognize needs long-term intensive residential treatment. We send them there for two reasons. One is that even if they're full, they're going to find a way to fit them in because they value guys' lives that much. And secondly, because they're not going to stop after they've helped you deal with your symptoms. After you've done that, then they're going to start walking you through something they call inner healing, which is to dig way down inside of you and to start to extract, and it's a bloody and ugly and painful process, the root inside of you of whatever it is that really is the problem. Because until you get a hold of that and start digging it out, you will never be completely healed and you will never completely overcome whatever it is that causes you to demonstrate, demonstrate through those symptoms. you got to deal with what's in here. Rufus at City Refuge in Atlanta was a male homosexual prostitute on the streets of Atlanta for 25 years. That was not his problem. He was a fighter. He's cut people, beaten people within an inch of their lives. He's been run over by a car twice himself. He was mean, terrible reputation, using drugs, drinking, out here prostituting himself to men. None of those were the problem for Rufus. The problem for Rufus was that at four or five years old, he was neglected, he was abandoned, he was molested. Everything about reality and the truth in life for him was shattered into a million pieces so that he no longer could see clearly how you're supposed to live. He no longer had a clear vision of what priorities, what's important, what to love, what not to love, what to embrace, what to put down. Everything was mixed up and messed up for him from the time he was a little bitty child. That's why he turned to drugs, alcohol, promiscuous sexual activity. He's trying to cover up the pain that's way down in here. That's the problem. So when it comes to things going on in our society, the problem is that we're having the wrong conversations. We're talking about the wrong stuff. We're talking about symptoms. And symptoms will never be fixed as long as the disease is still down in here. You can take ibuprofen for your headache and you can take something to bring your fever down and you can take something to ease the nausea, but until you deal with whatever the problem inside is, it's not going to go away. And the problem is we're leaving God out of the conversations. We're having all these talks and we're, we're talking about what needs to be reformed and what needs to be changed, what needs to be overhauled and what needs to be done away with. And I don't hear hardly anybody saying this country needs God. Our disease is a lack of God. 
Our problem, the root, is that we are leaving God out of the equation. And I don't care how many laws they change, and I don't care how many reforms are signed, and I don't care how many commitments are made to doing this better and doing that better and, and, and throwing this out and, and adding this to the equation. It is not going to work. Things will not get better. They're only going to get worse until we do what he said, and that, that is to humble ourselves and pray and repent and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways then which is a powerful word because it's a process word then he says I will hear from heaven I will forgive your sins and I will what heal your land problem and solution right in front of us problem and solution well, Jeff, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to make all that you're talking about happen? Nobody's listening to us. We're a little group here in Thomaston, Georgia, for Pete's sake. Well, you know, how are we going to get people to start embracing God? I have tossed that question around in my head over and over and over. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And all of a sudden, a few days ago, something that I talked about early in the year just hit me between the eyes one more time. Three words. Let's be great. And Sully left his truck at my house a day or two ago, and I, so I drove it down here this morning. I got in the truck, and I see plastered onto the dashboard there the bright green slip of paper that says, Let's be great. Let's be great at what? Let's be great at worship. That's why I opened up today with the quote by Ravi Zacharias on worship. Let's be great at worship. If everything that we do is not done inside the context of a life of worship, forget about it. Forget about it. The way you raise your family, your kids, the way you provide, the way you get up and go to work, the way you come home, the way you make dinner, the way you have conversations, the way you either turn on or tur turn off, and I'm suggesting more turning off than turning on the television, the way you do everything you do, the way you take care of your personal hygiene, the way you take care of your personal fitness, the way you take care of your relationships with any and everybody that you have a relationship with, all of that must happen inside a context of a lifestyle of worship or it's not going to be right. Let's be great in love. Come on. Come on. Heart of God stuff. Foundational stuff. Love. God is love. God's people should be people who are characterized by love. Mahatma Gandhi said, when it comes to Christianity, I like their Christ. I just don't like their Christians. Why? Because what he knew of Christians was fighting and splitting and going to war and arguing. And retaliating. That's what he knew of Christians. 
The Christians he had encountered had condemned him because they had not taken time to listen and to learn from him and to build a trusting relationship so that they could potentially influence him into believing in this Christ that he liked. Love. Standing at the deli last week, one day, week before last, and there's a couple... Elderly man, he's back here with his mask on. He don't want to come past the rail, so he's kind of telling his wife what he wants. She's up here. She's ordering. She gets her order done. We order our stuff, and I leaned over to her and said, can I just add your lunch to my bill? And she's like, well, yes, sir. Thank you. And she stood there a minute, and, she, and, and uh, the, the man, who was a little bit of a grumpy tail, I hear him say behind his mask, what did he say? She said, he wants to buy our lunch. He said, why? I said, well, the only answer I can give you right now is because I just think people ought to be doing a lot more things that are kind and loving these days. That's it. That's it. Just be kind. Be great in love. Be great in humility. Be great in making peace. Be great in seeking what's right. Some of y'all have already thought you know where these things are coming from, right? <laughs> these are the words of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek or the humble. Blessed are those who seek after righteousness. Blessed are those who love and forgive. Let's be great in forgiveness. Let's be great in compassion. Let's be great in generosity. Let's be great in benevolence. Let's be great in our work. Hey, we can talk about all these concepts, all these emotional aspects of life, what about just the raw experience of work? Just get, like I said, for 23 years in Atlanta, in the worst neighborhood in the state of Georgia, we've just got up every day and gone to work. Let the work speak for itself. And we may have to say some things along the way, but if we don't back it up with a foundation of good, honest work, it's going to come up empty. Let's be great at cooperation. Let's be great at kindness. Sully, will you run back there and get Kendall and the kids and bring them in here? Let's be great at giving. Let's be great at service. Service. I was just uh, yesterday evening at the shower just watching the people. Dean was involved, so I won't say ladies. Just working and serving. Stuff like that requires a lot of work, and it's tiresome, and they don't have to do it. You know, just serving people because you love people. Just serving people because it's the heart of God to serve people, to bless people, to do things that make other people happy. I, I couldn't tell you the number of people growing up in church and then working in churches that would leave, so they would come and say, well, we've decided to go to church somewhere else. Okay, why? 
Well, because I'm just not getting fed here. I'm just not getting what I need. I'm just not happy. I heard that a few times, and the last time somebody said that to me, they left with their tail between their legs and their feelings hurt. Because I looked at them and said, if you get up off your backside and start serving and loving other people, you'd find out you'd be a whole lot happier. Instead of sitting around waiting on somebody to do something for you, somebody to feed you, somebody to bless you, somebody to make you happy. Get up and serve people and you'll get happy. I guarantee it. Spiritual fulfillment comes through service. We grow up, we get full when we empty ourselves out on behalf of somebody else. I want these kids in here because I want you to know that the service and the ministry we're doing to kids here is absolutely vital now, more than ever before. This is the most important thing I think that we could be doing here now. And a lot of the kids that Kendall and her team work with are not here today. You know, they don't come to church here on Sunday mornings or they're just not here. And that's fine because that doesn't matter. It's just, you know, it's a great point of freedom when you, you come to the point where it doesn't matter to you if the people you're serving go to your church. They're people. And we love them and we serve them just because God crossed our paths with theirs. And listen, kids these days, think about it. I, I know a lot of knucklehead adults. They're just too far gone. I just can't deal with them. You know, they're set in their ways. You're not going to change them. You just pray for them and let God do His work, hopefully. But we can do a lot for children who are still impressionable, who are still learning, who are not set in their ways, who can be convinced, and we need to be convincing them, of what life as a son or a daughter of the Most High God really looks like. And it looks like to love people. It looks like to care for people. It looks like to extend yourself to people. It looks like to protect people. It's a powerful message for the dads in the room on Father's Day. We're not here just to produce kids. We're here to prepare kids for the future. We're here to protect kids from everything that would harm them or, or bring risk or from the enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy. Remember a ser- sermon a long time ago I heard from Bill Wilson, who's the founder of Metro uh, Ministries in New York City, said he used the, sermon, the, uh, the scripture that talks about how children are a heritage from the Lord. And blessed is a man whose quiver is full. And children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. And he was talking about preparing kids for the future. How back in that day when they were making homemade weapons and they would go out into the field and gather raw materials to build their weapons out of. And when it came to forming and fashioning arrows, it was very important that they be done exactly right or they would not fly right. So, you had to get, the, the shaft had to be straight, had to be polished. And then the, the weight balance on either end had to be just right. And you had to have that, that tip, the arrowhead fastened just right or it wasn't going to strike the target right. It wasn't going to be effective, it wasn't going to accomplish its purpose. He compared that to raising kids. 
how you're presented with a child who's really just a little bundle that you have the opportunity to do something with. Such a sad thing when you see kids and you see teenagers these days, you don't have to go further than Walmart right there to see them, that they obviously just were not formed and fashioned correctly growing up. Somebody produced them, but they didn't prepare them. Somebody produced them, but they didn't protect them. And so a child like an arrow has to be straightened, has to be balanced. The right things have to be implemented. The right materials have to be there. And if you train up a child in the way they should go, it says when they're older, they won't depart from it. And one of the great lessons I learned was that that doesn't just mean that they'll know God and they'll, they'll live for Him and worship and serve Him, but the way they should go is the purpose for which they were created. So we're here to minister to kids, to protect kids, to prepare kids, some of whom, not all, we have some great parents involved with the kids in our group, but some of whom need folks to fill up a void that was created when one or the other parent did not fulfill their responsibility and to be that for them. I'm going to call them up here in a minute with Kendall and everybody in here who works with kids and even parents of kids, come up with your kids if you want to. Or who, everybody come up in a minute. I was down in uh, our smaller pasture the other day, and I had piled up a bunch of wood and stuff and was burning it. Had a pretty good fire going. Well, as you know, we have three donkeys. Yeah, I'm still trying to say that and, and let it soak in. Because my whole life, from birth up until just a few months ago, I never, ever one time said to myself, you know what, I'd like to have three donkeys. <laughs> Thought never crossed my brain. But we have them. And they are quite funny creatures, much different from horses. You let the horse out of the barn, he puts his head down, he's going straight for the grass, he knows where it is, no distractions, he's going out there. You let a donkey out of the barn, immediately she's like, where can I get out of here? Where's, a, where's there a hole in this fence? Where's this thing short enough for me to jump? And it's just a whole different thing. Well, I'm down there burning this fire, and the donkeys are in that little pasture, and they decide they want to come and hang out with me. Just, I mean, like right here. They're just with me. I'm moving. They're moving. And then the fire got pretty big and pretty hot. And the, the mama donkey, what's her name? Dolly. All of a sudden, you know, I'm standing here, and she comes in right here, and the fire is right there, and it's hot. I know it was hot to her, and she just stands right there. So I'm like, what are you doing? So I move around here. She comes and stands right here. Anywhere I moved around the fire, she walked and stood between me and the fire. This may or may not have been the reality of what was going on. But what I came to believe was that she had decided to stand between me and the fire to protect me from the fire.
I don't know. Jonathan's probably back there going, oh, you're crazy. <laughs> she did not want me to get any closer to that fire, even if it was hot to her. I'm willing today, and I don't know if any of you are willing to go with me and say this, I'm willing to say I just want to be a donkey who protects vulnerable people. Fragile people. Little people. From the fire. From the danger. From the distractions. From the chaos. From the confusion. we did nothing else here but that I'm a happy man just take these kids who they don't have what it takes right now to protect themselves and step in and say you know what I'm going to make sure you don't get too close to that because that's dangerous And if that's being a donkey, I'll be one. I think the Lord has a special place in his heart for donkeys, don't you? He rode into Jerusalem to pay the price for our sins on one. His mother rode one to Bethlehem to give birth to him. The donkeys we have are called Bethlehem donkeys. He used donkeys in the Old Testament to do ministry. I guess when you have a bunch of hard-headed, jackass human beings that you can't get to do anything, you just turn to the donkey. I want the kids to come up, whoever wants to come with them, but especially the people who work with them here And then any parents want to come, and I just feel like it's important on Father's Day to pray for these kids. And our prayers are prayers, they're words, but they're a whole lot more than that. This is commitment. This is commitment to stand between kids and the fire. You know, you have to think about this sometimes, because kids hear all this stuff that's going on, right? How much fear do you think that churns up in them sometimes? How much do you think they wonder about what the future holds for them? They need us. They need, they need us to stand between them and the fire. They need, need us to love. They need us to protect. They need us to prepare. So just hug them up. Just make sure all the kids are with somebody and got your hand on them, hug them, and we're going to pray for them. Father, um, I don't know of any more beautiful calling than the calling to love on children, to bless children, to protect children, to prepare children for the future. I don't know of any greater mission in life that we could be a part of than to do that. And we have kids right here in this room that we're just praying over.
precious lives, precious hearts, that you would bring peace into their lives every day. Those who are from solid, stable families, that everything's going pretty good, all the way to those who have a lot of turmoil inside their own family structure. I pray for all of them because kids are at risk and we're here to hold them up. We're here to stand between them and things that can distract them or harm them. We're here to love them. We're here to support them. I pray for the leaders and the workers in here and the parents and those. I'm just, my heart's struck every time I think about the ones who do stuff that they didn't have to do. You know, they didn't have to. You don't, it's not a requirement that you care for somebody else's child. You know, whether whether it's a grandparent or whether it's adoptive parents or whether it's caregivers, whether it's legal guardians, I pray over those who are here and those who are not in this room who do that because that is such an important thing these days with so many parents who are not taking care of their responsibilities to have others step in and do that. But I pray for a lot of them that the parents who so far haven't done things exactly right, that they would hear your voice, respond, step up, be responsible, and do what they're supposed to do for their own sake and for the sake of their children. So I pray for Kendall. I pray for her team of volunteers, for those who are investing in these children every week, whether it's at church or in camp or tutoring, after-school programming, whatever the case may be, that you would use, use them mightily and powerfully. We thank you for the testimonies already from this summer about how the kids are so respectful and attentive and their behavior is so much better than it's ever been. We know that's because you're working through the adults to bless their lives and to show them the right way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. It's an honor. It's an honor to be part of a ministry that focuses so much on kids. And we pray that we would always be faithful and committed in spirit of holiness uh, to that task and that you would send other kids along our way that we can help. Thank you for this day. And again, bless our fathers uh, that they would really, really sense your love and your support today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being here. Have a great day. Remember, your giving happens at the back doors.